Welcome to this episode of Care You, where we challenge and encourage listeners to be intentional and embed a practice of reflection into your caregiving. It is our intention that the contents of this podcast are accessible and meet you where you are on your caregiving journey in a non-blaming and non-shaming way. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the show. show. Hey, Stephanie. Good morning, Don. How are you? Doing great. How are you? Well, it's, as we got on here, as we're recording this on a Monday, this has been one of those Mondays. Uh, it's it's what, it's the uh, definition of a Monday. Let's just say it that way. But it's great that we're here and we're recording a podcast and we're episode two of season two. And I was just thinking, you're going to turn that Monday around right now. I am. With this awesome episode. Turn that, that we frown have. upside down. Here we go. Can't wait to welcome our guest today. We have Dr. Krista Lay with us, so I'm super excited for her to introduce herself and then share her expertise with our listeners. Yeah, and it was awesome. I had the we had been in contact before through a mutual friend, and it was just so nice to meet her in person when she was in the district, and she's going to be back in the district a couple of times. So, um, Dr. Lay, would you like to? Tell us what you want the audience to know about you. Of course. First, thank you so much for the warm welcome. It is a pleasure to be on here chatting with you and being able to share um, all things around education and parenting with you, Stephanie and Don. Thank you. Um, my name is Krista. I have been in education for 24 years, going into my 25th year. Whew, um, I've spent my first 10 years as a high school social studies teacher, then three years as an instructional tech coach. Yes. Uh, then I moved into curriculum for two years, supporting all secondary teams. Um, but really, my passion lied in working with the students. And I didn't realize it was called social emotional learning at the time. Um, but I realized that I really cared about who my students were, how they felt, how they showed up, because I knew that was going to affect how they learned academically. Um, and so the last 10 years, I have been working around the country supporting school districts with infusing explicit SEL integration into everything they say they think they do. And at the same time, raising three boys, two of my own bio boys, and I also have a bonus son. Bio boys and bonus son. I like that. And I knew there was a reason that I liked you. It just seemed other than I've been 33 years, but social studies tech coach, care about your kids. What else could you ask yeah, for? I know, I know. Yes, it's a perfect storm of us all coming together. Yes. What I'm super excited about is I've actually had the opportunity to connect with Krista about a lot of different hats that you just mentioned, but it seems like every time it comes back to, I'm asking you, hey, you're a little bit further in this parenting journey than me. What would you do here? And how would you handle this? And so immediately I thought she has to be on our podcast. She's a wealth of knowledge. So you've given a lot of examples to me in our time together, and I just cannot wait for you to share your journey and your expertise with our listeners. So why don't we jump in? And I think it the title of this episode, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, is Repairing the Rupture. Yeah, what does that even yeah, mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Oh, wow. And you both turn and look at me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> parenting. Okay, so as a high school teacher, I was so comfortable having conversations with adolescents and meeting them where they were at and engaging them in conversations to help them feel comfortable and to navigate their emotions. Um, but when it came to my own young kids, I was lost. 
Um, I don't have an elementary background. Um, and so getting to help them be able to understand their own emotions, how to manage them, how to see other people's perspectives was a little bit of a challenge for me. And I definitely stumbled along the way. Um, but I am really happy to say that I think I found a balance on that when I did mess up, to be able to backtrack and to repair those relationships. And I'm proud to say, actually, I just sent both of my bio kids off to college this weekend. Uh, my oldest is a senior. My second bio is a freshman. Um, and so they always joke with me and all the one-liners and stuff that I would give to them, they give back to me now. Um, but I have a really strong relationship with all of them, including my bonus son, who is a senior in high school this year. Um, so I'm here to share a little bit about, even despite our best intentions, we're as parents going to mess up, but it's what we do after we mess up and how we repair and rebuild and reconnect with our kids. That's really the most powerful piece. I love that. So we talk a lot on this podcast, as you know, about being intentional and just a non-shaming, non-blaming, reflective practice. And it sounds like it really matches with what you're talking about. We, we are going to, not if, but when we mess up in a, a caregiving decision, possibly, or an approach. Um, but then it's you're saying it's more important to consider the repair than it is to worry about if we're going to mess up. Is that accurate? I would agree. And and I like that you brought up that word shame because I'll be honest, I have a hard time not shaming myself when I've messed up. Hmm. I put a lot of pressure on me and how I could have done things better and I should have known better. And so full disclosure, it takes me a while to be able to let that go. <laughs> but over time, I've gotten better at it, realizing that um, it's a learning experience and an opportunity to try consciously to not make that same mistake again. And so I hold on to that piece. And I am fortunate enough that I think when you have a strong enough foundation of a relationship, when you do mess up, the person on the receiving end of the harm is far more likely to provide forgiveness and to provide grace during those opportunities of, of making those mistakes and messing up when you come back authentically apologizing and, and offering to do better. Yeah, I, I can already tell I'm going to have about 47,000 questions and or comments. Um, I was just thinking about when you um, when you mentioned that idea of having that relationship, it's similar to like when we react, if, if we're in traffic, somebody cuts us off, we don't have a relationship with the person in front of us. It is just so like you go, I, I don't know, I don't do it, but if you fly off the handle, it and then they, you know, stick some kind of digit out of the window at you and they're cussing it. You can tell they're not happy. There is no way to repair. I don't know them. They don't know me. There is no ability to repair and you just go on your merry way and everybody's mad. And I don't know. It just, that kind of resonated with me. And then I don't know, Stephanie, if you were thinking the same thing, I'm curious about those one liners. <laughs> when you said they send them right back to you, I'm like, Ooh, I wonder what those I wonder what those are. So maybe you're going to share some of those with us. I will. Okay. I definitely will. I'm going to leave you hanging for a little bit. Okay. Though. I was curious when you said that you have to be intentional. What way? In what ways can you give us any examples of how you are or have been in, intentional about being proactive in that um, process, whether it's relationship building or teaching them explicitly 
how we're going to authentically apologize, which I think is a whole nother podcast episode. Oh, yeah. And and actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to take you back a, a couple steps and just talk about the five SEL competencies for a moment. Um, because most people, when they think about SEL, they think immediately about relationships. But there's actually competencies ahead of relationships. Uh, the first two are intrapersonal. So it's self-awareness. Who are we? What are our emotions? Being able to link them to our thoughts and our feelings and our actions, knowing our strengths, our areas of growth. And then how do we manage all of that, our emotions, our goal setting, uh, motivation and organization. So we need to know who we are first, I think. And the better we know ourselves, the better we can show up for other people. And that goes into the other two competencies of the interpersonal competency. So there's social awareness, getting to know what other people are thinking and what they're feeling and what their needs are. And then what do you do once you get to know somebody else's needs and understand their perspective? And that comes the relationship skills. And then the last competency is responsible decision-making. What are you going to do based on having all of this knowledge of yourself and others? So let me pull back and say that when my kids were little, I cried almost every day. <laughs> had, I'm not exaggerating. They had so much energy and enthusiasm that I didn't know what to do with it. And sometimes that got them in trouble when they were at daycare. And so me, I was very good with the high school students being able to sit down and to talk it out, but they weren't ready for that yet. Um, not to the extent that I was used to having these conversations. And so I also knew that I had a really heightened sense of anxiety that was growing while they were younger. Um, and so I would often, when they would ask me for things or to go do something, my first thought was no. And I really hate that I say that, but it was, could we go to the park? No, we can't go today. Can we go to the McDonald's playground? No. And I'd make up these excuses or um, you know, uh, birthday parties. I don't know if I mentioned that, but I was withholding things, but it was more about me than it was about them. And so once I realized this about me and how I was managing my own emotions and my thoughts, I realized how it was impacting them and their life experiences. So um, full disclosure, I went and I, I saw a counselor and I ended up getting some medication to help me because I didn't want to raise my kids um, with the things I was dealing with. And so I started changing my mind thinking if they asked me for something, my first thought was not going to be no. It was going to be, okay, what does this mean in the bigger scheme of things? And I reserved my no's for the really important things. And every time I gave them, uh, we can't do this right now, I always explained why. Um, growing up, I heard of a lot of parents saying, well, because, or because I said so, or because I'm the parent. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be able to say, we're not doing that because, and provide them a really good explanation. Um, even if they couldn't necessarily understand the complexity of that, they knew I wasn't saying no because it was a power over them. It was a bigger issue. Um, I also got to know what my kids needed. So Ethan, my oldest, um, when he was young and he would be very spirited and excited and all this energy, uh, talking to him was not going to work. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is sitting next to him, we're just holding him was what he needed from me, even though he couldn't articulate it at the time. Um, so during times when he was very spirited and, and had all this excitement, I found that the way I needed to meet him where he was at was through breathing strategies and just uh, physical presence. Um, 
Jared, my younger, was also like that. He actually liked physical presence and being held even more. And as they got older, I also found that they communicated very differently. So Ethan likes to think things through. He processes on his own. And then two or three days later, he'll come back to me or call me and say, hey, mom, here's what I was thinking about. Or here's what I did. <laughs> and I shouldn't have done that. And here's what I know now. Whereas Jared is a processor, he needs to talk things out in the moment. And so um, thinking about how I was meeting their needs and knowing what each of them needed allowed me to be, I think, a better parent and to, again, you said before, meet them where they're at and knowing that they were two different ways. Okay, wow. Um, again, one well, of That my, was a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, but I'm, I'm thinking back to... It was similar for me, having been trained as a high school teacher, I wish, because I work pre-K to 12 now, and I've had more interactions with teachers of littles, and littles, I think I could have used that to my advantage had my kids been that age, but then the other thing that just kept going through my head, which I think caregivers need to really understand, is that modeling component. So you are modeling to your kids, look, I do have to say no, we are not going to go to the McDonald's, but it's not just simply because I said so. Here's why that gives them that ability, that voice to be able to kind of say, okay, when there's something that I don't want to do, there's a way to handle that. If a kid says, do you want to come outside and play? Maybe the way, to hand, maybe the way not to handle it is to say no. I can't go out and play, but I can't go out and play right now because we have to go here, 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 and here. And so I like that modeling component of that. Yeah. And what's coming up for me is um, the brain-based approach that you're talking about, that you are regulating and then relating and then having a conversation. And so, especially when they're young and they can't, like their actions or how you can see if they're dysregulated highly spirited is a great way. Um, and sometimes, and that's okay. Um, but the talk therapy or the, and obviously parents probably don't feel like they're doing talk therapy, but talking at a child, um, is sometimes difficult. And so someone said once that in the history of telling someone to calm down in a moment of chaos, it never works. And I think we, as a caregiver, we all as caregivers resonate, right? It just, it just doesn't work, but you're modeling and, and really explaining the, we have to be in a state of regulation and then have a relationship. And then we can reason whatever that reason is. I thought that was really beautiful. Loved it. I wish I could tell you the name, a friend of mine got me this book and it was called Raising Your Spirited Child. And I don't remember who the author was off the top of my head, but I felt seen with that book. And I realized that the, my kids just had a heightened sense of emotion. Um, and so I started working on, like you said, helping them with regulation after I figured out how to regulate myself. Right. Because, you know, like you said, we have to model that. And for them, some of the conversations became, how does this feel in your body right now? And um, helping them with an emotional literacy vocabulary, what words could describe that? And then sometimes when I could go back to what was the event that led to those physical sensations happening? Um, 
So that was kind of how I built that relationship ahead of time with them. But still know that I'm human, they're human, and and we've had blowups, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to happen. And that's where the, I think the repair comes in. Can I ask you a question? And you don't have to answer it. If, um, But when you said that we, we have blowups, I would really love for you, and I know you're a very self-aware person, do you feel like you were in a state of regulation um, or when you, when that did happen? Or do you think, like, basically, I'm wondering, do we both contribute the caregiver and the child to that moment? Or do you feel like it's just, just happens? Oh, I don't mind answering that at all. And I was not regulated in any of those situations. Um, but they were different types of dysregulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can give you two different examples. I have three different examples that I think of immediately. Um, We were very, my husband is from Italy. Um, His family still lives over there. So we were fortunate to save up some money and take the kids over. Um, They live in Rome. So we went there and we asked the boys, where do you want to go visit? And so Julian and Jared, the two younger, said that they wanted to go to Florence and Pisa. And then Ethan, my older, said he wanted to go to Venice, which if you know the map of Italy is clear on the other side. (laughs) We wanted to do everything we could to make the boys happy um, because we wanted this to be a, a truly... Um, momentous family vacation. And so we got up really early in the morning. We drove to Florence. My husband drove. We were in this tiny little car with the three boys in the back seat. They were, they're tall. So they're sticking their legs out in between the seats in the front. So I had boy feet in my face. They were eating all over. They were singing and it was just a lot. Um, So we're driving through Florence. (laughs) It was raining. It was an ugly, but the kids were fine. Then we drove another hour to Pisa. Um, It was overcast. The two younger kids wanted pictures of themselves like holding up the leaning tower. And all of a sudden, Ethan was like, this sucks. I'm tired. I don't want to be here. I want to go back to the hotel. When are we going to Venice? Blah, blah, blah. blah. And and I lost it myself. And um, I said, I remember very clearly because I was appalled at what I said in the middle of everybody, you know, all the tourists. And and, this is not the Ethan vacation. Your brothers wanted to be here. We're going where you want to go in a couple days. So suck it up. (laughs) And then I went, oh, my gosh, that was not very SEL of me. (laughs) And it just came out because I was tired, too. It was an ugly day out. We had been in the car for hours. It was... And, and I realized, I'm like, oh, I need to fix this because this is the beginning of our vacation. <laughs> so I asked Carlo if he could take the two younger kids and, and they went off somewhere. And I said to Ethan, I- I'm really sorry. I did not mean to, to yell at you in front of everybody. I'm really struggling today, too. It's been a long day. I'm tired. I'm a little stressed out. And to his credit, he said, uh, I'm sorry, too. He had had he said, my knee is really hurting me. So in his sophomore year, he had blown out his knee in football and had total reconstructive surgery. And somebody had told me that when the weather was bad, it bothers where you have surgery. And um, I said, okay, so let's make a deal. When your knee is bothering you from now on, you say, hey, mom, let's sit down for a while. My knee is bothering me and I will sit with you and we'll let Carla go off with the kids because he's got as much energy as they do. And um Honestly, it was a great agreement. And the next couple cities we went to, I have wonderful memories of having an espresso with Ethan at a table, taking in the sights while the other three were off running around. Um, but yeah, I was not thrilled with myself for 
raising my voice and yelling. And in fact, it was in front of other people. And I probably embarrassed him quite a bit. I embarrassed myself too, uh, but I needed to make it right with him. Well, and I, like, as you're describing this, I'm like, uh, been there. Me too. And But I think I am a pretty self-reflective person. I, I can't imagine not having that weigh on me. But I know, I mean, I, so I can't really imagine the other side of it, but I'm sure there are people that would say, well, that's what it's like being a parent. That's what's like being a caregiver. You just, you're going to have those times and you just move on. And, and what you're saying is you move on, but you do it intentionally and you, you do try to repair that rupture. And I think everybody would be on the same boat that they would want um, to model what it means to um, make it right. I mean, that's the words that we use in our house is if you do, if, and when you do wrong, you make it right. Um, and I think Ethan's going to be equipped with that and he is equipped with that. And so how great is that um, for his future to be able to say, you know, I didn't handle that right. Because that's going to happen. Yes. The weather, the, the crunching of time, the feeling squished, if any way to say that in whatever scenario, right? Like we feel squished as humans. And Don and I just did an episode on back to school. You can't really get much more squished than all the expectations back to school. Um, so I love that example. And I'm glad you picked that one to share because I've heard that. And that was what I was thinking yeah. when I hear repair the rupture. Yeah. And I think in, in hindsight, what I've learned now is I would ask Ethan how I could repair, like what I could, what he would need from me. I jumped right into trying to solve the issue, right? I think knowing what I know now, I'd say, how can I make this right with you? And then because we have many more days together, you know, here's what I might offer. What do you think about this? Um, and, and it does remind me, I had one other time that was a little bit of a different type of dysregulation, but um, my boys, because we're all in blended households, have a lot of different views around the political spectrum. And so Jared and I were having a conversation one day around something that hit pretty close to my own core values. And so I found myself wanting to kind of, uh, inter I was interrupting him. <laughs> like jumping in, but have you thought about, but what about, but how could, and I realized I wasn't just listening to his perspective and how he came to that. Um, and so then he kind of like, just was like, I'm done. And he came back into his room and shut the door. And I'm like, wow, I didn't really, I was wrapped up in my own emotionality and strong views about something that I didn't actually hear him out. And so I did come back in the room that I'm in right now, actually. And I said, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. I real I didn't listen authentically and I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm not going to jump in. Just know that this is something that was hitting close to my heart. Um, but I really need to understand where you're coming from and why you think that way. Um, and so I sat and I practiced real listening and got to hear and his, his perspective made sense to me. I understood how he developed the thoughts that he did. And we had a really good conversation about that. So it also reminds me to not interrupt and to hear the whole story out. So good. Yeah. And I think about that. I, I have gotten way better at, I used to listen only to know when to put my thoughts in. And yeah. I, I really do. And I will tell myself it's that self-talk. Okay. Nope. You're, you're just wanting to put a comment in there. And so, um, 
Which probably took practice. Oh, yeah, and I'm still not not even anywhere close to perfect. Right. But I just think it's important to because you you just mentioned it's an intentional practice. Without saying those words, it's like we have to be self-aware. Yep. And then practice. And that's what we're we're all in this together and that we need to keep practicing because nobody's perfect. Yeah. Well, and it is that idea of that being proactive versus reactive. And I guess my question is, how do you or how have you worked on being proactive rather than reactive? Um, I think that comes back to the self-awareness piece when we're having conversations that I know are hitting close to my heart or maybe I don't necessarily agree with or I don't think they made the best possible decision um, to not jump down their throats about it and to pull myself back and and understand. And I think there's there's this piece of wanting to be like protect your kids and guide them yet knowing that they need to start taking ownership and accountability for themselves. And so wanting to protect them but having them find their own way um, And so I think it's me recognizing what the long-term goal is. Like, I want them to be caring, compassionate, kind, empathetic, accountable, and responsible young men. And if I don't model that for them, or if I don't support them in that way, that growth, I'm not sure how else they're going to get there. Um, So thinking about the long-term pieces and really making sure that I am careful about how I'm parenting. And I think that apology is important. Like you can't sincerely apologize and then keep doing the same thing over and over again, because then that loses all credibility. And so once I apologize for something, I become very hyper aware to catch myself if I start to slip and do something similar again. Mm Well, and I guess as we start to get toward the end here with just a few minutes left, I guess, so if our listeners, like, let's just put ourselves in the mind of our listeners, and some of them are probably saying, they will say, yes, I agree with that. That sounds great. How do I do that? Like, how, what do I need to do to get started with that? Like, what would you recommend? And you did mention in your case, you said, oh, I I actually went and saw a counselor. I mean, what are some ways that listeners can really start to be more self-reflective, self-aware to then move forward with this and being able to repair ruptures and being able to know um, that those children that they're responsible for? Um, I think the first thing I would say is start to recognize when you get frustrated or angry or upset with your kids? Like, is there a theme that's happening? (laughs) Like, what are those um, things for you that provoke your anger and you being frustrated to the point that you feel like saying something to your kids or having an interaction with them? And I'm not saying that having an interaction is always a bad thing because sometimes kids make mistakes and then you do need to intercede and have a response to that. But I think it's how you have and how you approach that response. And so I often, so that's the first part I would say is think about when are you more likely to lash out or to do something that is going to cause harm in that relationship? Um, And then think about what could be those long-term consequences because I, I have held on to things in my past. Like I remember how people made me feel at different times in my life. And 
I don't want my kids to hold on to those pieces and I want them to learn from them as well. Um, so th I think the second part is taking a breath, a break, a pause, collecting yourself and then thinking, how can I best approach this so that I can hear their point of view, I can offer my side and we can repair and move forward. And what do they feel needs to happen to make that repair? And then the, the last piece I would say, and then make sure you follow through with it. Because, you know, if I kept interrupting Jared every time we had a conversation, he's just going to shut down and stop talking to me. Yeah. And I desperately don't want that to happen. So uh, along the lines of that, I'm just curious. It, do you give, did you give your child permission to say you are interrupting me? Yes. Uh, because I think that's the part that sometimes we do. Like, I cannot believe that child talked to their parent that way. But that's that non, like maybe as a parent, they've said, you know what, this is what I'm working on. I need you to tell me when I'm interrupting you or whatever it might be that you were struggling with. Yes. And I think it's 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 the tone of voice that you, it's not always just the words, but it's the sure. way that you say it. And so if they said to me, mom, you're not listening versus like yelling at me, stop interrupting yeah, exactly. me. <laughs> Um, and, and sometimes it's just a look like the other day before Ethan went back to school. And this is so silly, but he was eating a, a cheesesteak and he had like the dip for it and he was dipping the whole sandwich in and it was starting to fall out. And I'm looking at him like, wouldn't you wouldn't it be easier to get a bowl to put that your sauce into? And and then he looked at me and I'm like, I'm sorry, you're 22 years old. You know how to eat your own sandwich. Like, but this was something that I think full disclosure, my mom would have said to me and I would have been like, I'm 46 years old. I know how to eat a sandwich. Um, so it's, it's those, you know, oh, sometimes I just need a look and I'm like, you're right. I'm sorry. You don't need me to tell you yep. how to put the, the sauce on your sandwich. It's the reverse mom look. It is. You're getting the reverse mom look. It is almost like you were reading my mind. My son is 30 and I, every time we watch him eat, it's like, what did we do? But then it's like, okay, nope, he's 30. He needs to figure that out. And then the other thing that I can't get out of my head is cheesesteak and the fact that you're from Philadelphia. Yes. So it is not like you're saying cheesesteak that was made in, you know, Central Illinois? Bloomington, Illinois. Yes. It's, it's like a real cheesesteak, but. But you guys have these horseshoe horse oh, yes. sandwiches that I learned about. I'm oh. like, what is this? I got the whole lowdown on it. Oh, when you come back, that's we're going to get a horseshoe. Okay. Yep. When okay, we go out to dinner, we're going to get a horseshoe. Okay. I will. Ooh, that's a lot on a sandwich. Yeah. So, <laughs> Stephanie, do you want to end this with the question that? So, we love this last question. It's how can I up the odds that my kids will do great things when I'm no longer around them? Oh, I tell them I'm going to come back and haunt them. Um, <laughs> joke. Um, mm. Well, sometimes my boys will say to me, um, are you SELing us right now? And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Um, so I hope that I have explicitly talked to them about developing these essential skills and how important it is to have those in life to navigate your path. And I, I, wow, that sounds really cheesy now that I'm saying it. I wish I had something grander to share, but I hope that I've given them a foundation where they're like, these are the skills that I need and I have to get better at these to navigate the world so that I can have success. I love That's it. wonderful. I it, I and she said great. cheesy too. I went back to cheesesteak. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> oh, he can't get off yeah, of it I now. Know. It's almost lunchtime here, Krista. I think that's why we're, we're thinking and honing in on the food. But that was beautiful. I think there's so much to take away. And I'm, I'm going to re-listen to a, our episode just so I can take things away. And I'm going to vote for having Krista back on for oh, something else. This was wonderful. So wonderful. So, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Care You and for showing up for the children in your care. Until next time.